Hello there. Welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Now, without further ado, let's start the show. Raw will open up with Edge coming down to the ring, and Edge is out here because he wants an answer from Finn Balor about a match. Finn would come out with the Judgment Day, and this would make Edge upset. Edge would tell Finn that he will give him his WrestleMania match, and Edge would say that he wants to be done with Finn because time is running out for him, and Edge wants to finally get along with his actual career, and he wants to just be done with Finn and the Judgment Day because the Judgment Day, for the best better part of a year, has been making Edge's life a living hell. So with hell in mind, Edge would challenge Finn Balor to a Hell in a Cell match at WrestleMania. Finn would accept it and send the Judgment Day after Edge. The Judgment Day would beat up on Edge until Johnny Gargano, Dexter Loomis, and Candice LeRae would run down to the ring to make the save, and we would get a tag match of Johnny Gargano and Dexter Loomis with Candice in their corner, going against Dominic Mysterio, Damian Priest with Rhea Ripley. Dominic and Priest would win the match by pinfall when Priest would hit Dexter Loomis with South of Heaven for the win. Now, after this, we get Omos and Brock Lesnar having a face-to-face in the ring, Omos will come out with MVP first, MVP will say a couple words, then Brock will come out to the ring, Brock will be impressed at the size of Omos, and Omos would put his fist in the face of Brock before extending his hand out for Brock to shake it. Brock would shake Omos's hand, and Brock would try to intimidate Omos by pulling him in, but Omos would not budge, and Brock would just be confused by this. So Brock would stomp on Omos's foot, and then try to German suplex Omos, but Omos would elbow Brock Lesnar and then, like, pie face shove him out of the ring. Now, this would impress Brock, and you would see uh, officials run down to the ring, backstage officials and other people trying to make sure that Brock wouldn't try to get back in the ring. So, we're setting up still for Brock and Omos at WrestleMania. The match has already been made official, but it's just trying to get people interested in it because I think WWE kind of got some flack from the idea of Omos going against Brock Lesnar from the people on the internet. So I think they just wanted to let people know that, hey, you guys have some interest in it because the crowd in the arena actually were interested in seeing Omos and Brock being face-to-face, especially with Brock having the facial expression of seeing Omos. So we'll have to wait and see what happens at Mania between these two. Hopefully it turns out well. Now after this, we will have the match of Cody Rhodes going against LA Knight. Cody would win the match by pinfall by hitting the crossroads. After the match, Cody will get a microphone. Cody will talk about... Him sticking his nose on the bloodline's business, saying that he can stand side by side with either Kevin Owens or Sami Zayn if he wants to because he does not work for Roman Reigns. Cody would say that Mr. Heyman keeps trying to tell him not to make things personal, but Cody would say that it has always been personal. Since Cody began wrestling in front of the entire business in 2007, Cody would go on to say that ever since he has came back to the WWE, he has been undefeated, and at WrestleMania, he plans on becoming the first person and his family to become WWE Undisputed Universal Champion. Now, later in the night, uh, we will get a backstage uh, segment or promo from Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman would let everyone know that Roman Reigns will be on Raw next week, so you could expect a Cody and Roman Reigns face-off. Now, after this, we have Elias with Rick Boogs in his corner going against Bronson Reed. Bronson Reed would win the match by pinfall by hitting the Tsunami. So this was just a throwaway match just to eat up time. After this, we had Austin Theory going against Angelo Dawkins. This match comes about because earlier in the night, they will show a uh, video of what happened between Street Profits and Theory backstage. And this was basically Street Profits trying to cook 
Theory because Theory got cooked by John Cena last week on the mic, but Theory would ultimately cook the Street Profits by saying that they're not doing nothing at WrestleMania while Austin Theory, he got what he wanted. He goes against John Cena at WrestleMania for the United States Championship. Then Theory himself will start to cook the Street Profits, basically saying that uh, he thinks that Montez Ford, every time he gets an opportunity, he always chokes on it, and he basically calls... Angelo Dawkins, basically a nobody. So that's how we get this match here. Theory would win the match by pinfall by hitting the A-Town down on Angelo Dawkins. After the match, Theory will lock Dawkins into the STF, and this is sending a message to John Cena, until Montez Ford run down to the ring, and Theory would leave the ring. And it would be announced that next week, Montez Ford will be going against Austin Theory. Now after this, we see Rey Mysterio come down to the ring. He would thank the fans because he's going into the Hall of Fame. He would get a You Deserve It chance. Ray will say that it feels good to be back at Raw to celebrate going into the Hall of Fame. Ray will say that this award is from the people that made him in this business and to everyone in the crowd. Then Dominic will come out and he will actually come out by himself. No judgment day. It's just him and he will get in this ring with his father. Dom would again be on the self pity train. Dom would say that. Ray chose his career over his kids. He would even list out two examples of Ray not being there and actually going back on his word. You mentioned that when he was in the eighth grade and he was supposed to like get promoted whenever like someone gets promoted from the eighth grade going into the high school. His father was supposed to be there, but he wasn't. He skipped Dominic's celebration or ceremony to go to WrestleMania. And when Don was 16, he was supposed to get a brand new car. And while his friends drove around in Mercedes Dom was given a BMW by Ray and I found that hilarious because if I'm not mistaken both cars are good cars so I'm not understanding what Dom was talking about here again this is all feeding into the character of Dominic here and Dom would let Ray know that he is going to let Ray enjoy his Hall of Fame weekend but he would throw out the challenge for Ray to have a match with him at WrestleMania Ray would turn that challenge down and say that he will never fight Dom because he still loves him Ray will leave the ring and Dom will continue to run down Ray as a bad father as Ray will walk up the ramp. So I'm glad we finally got to the point where Dominic is now throwing out the challenge for a WrestleMania match with Ray Mysterio. And you can tell it's going to happen, even though Ray keeps on saying it's not going to happen. We all know it's going to happen. So I'm glad they finally just threw that out there so we can finally get to it. Now, after this, we get Seth Rollins going against Baron Corbin. Miz was on commentary for this match. Seth would win the match by pinfall. Thanks to technically the Miz, but not really. You'll hear what I mean in a minute. When Miz was trying to interfere, because you would see during the match, Seth Rollins was outside of the ring. Baron Corbin tried to attack Seth, but Seth would grab Baron and throw him into the Miz. Miz would get on the ring apron. He would feel disrespected by this, and you would see Seth hit Miz with the insiguri. Now, Miz would come into the ring. He's kind of stumbling. He's on his knees. You see Baron Corbin. He's down. Seth would see this as a perfect opportunity, and he would run up the back of Miz, jump off, and hit a stomp on Corbin, and he would cover Corbin for the win. So he used, basically, uh, Miz as a platform to curb stomp Corbin, and I like that, personally. Last time Seth did that, I believe it was at Survivor Series, and he did that to Bobby Lashley. He used Austin Theory as a platform to jump off of. So I like whenever Seth can actually pull that type of stuff off with the curb stomp. So I was happy to see that here. And next week, it was announced that Logan Paul will appear on Raw and he will be hosting Impulsive on Monday Night Raw. So I expect Seth Rollins to come out there to ruin that. 
Now, after this, we get Bianca Belair going against Chelsea Green with Carmella in her corner. Bianca will win the match by pinfall by hitting the KOD. And then after the match, Carmella would attack Bianca from behind, and Chelsea Green would join in, just like last week. And just like last week, Asuka would come down to make the save. You would see Asuka hit Chelsea, and then Carmella would leave the ring. And now you have both Bianca and Asuka hitting Chelsea Green back and forth before Bianca would spinebuster Chelsea Green, and then Chelsea would roll out of the ring. Now it's down to both Bianca Belair and Asuka, just like last week. Asuka this time would pick up the Raw Women's Championship, and she would start dance with the championship as Bianca would try to get her championship back from Asuka. You would see Asuka then hold out the Raw Women's Championship, look at Bianca, and then you just start seeing some blue goo coming out of Asuka's mouth. And then she would just leave the championship on the mat. So I don't like the way that they're building this thing up between Bianca and Asuka here. I don't like it at all. I think I'm not the only person. There are people on the internet saying that as well. That they don't like how they're doing this build between Bianca and Asuka. I just don't like it. Again, I would rather see Asuka be a complete, like, undefeatable type of monster. You can build her up to be a monster for someone for Bianca to overcome. And that's just not what's happening here. We're making them seem like, okay, she constantly gets saved by Asuka every single week, and Asuka has to pull, like, some willy-nilly type of clownish type thing on Bianca just to try to get her off her game. I don't I don't think that's the way to go with these two. Uh, hopefully next week they'll change that because next week it was announced that Bianca and Asuka will be teaming up to go against Carmella and Chelsea Green. Hopefully Bianca will just be standing on the ring apron and just let Asuka cook both Carmella and Chelsea just to see, well, basically to let everybody know that Asuka's still that badass that we all know that she can be, even though she's having this little fun moment. Hopefully, that's what I'm hoping they'll happen, where Bianca just sits on the ring apron, Asuka does all the work, and then she looks at Bianca and then just points at the mania sign and just walk away. Those type of statements and those type of actions are, it will ring off better than the type of thing that they're doing now. So hopefully they'll listen to this and they'll take that under advisement. And if anything, they like my idea and they'll just tweak it a little bit. Hopefully that's what they will do next week, but only time will tell. Now it's time for the main event, street fight between Kevin Owens and Solo Sokoa. Solo would win the match by pinfall, thanks to the Usos helping out. When Solo was walking to the back, Kevin Owens would follow him, and waiting for Kevin Owens was the Usos. The Usos would deliver a double superkick to Kevin Owens, then they would drag him into the ring. You would see Kevin Owens eat more superkicks from the Usos, and then finally Solo would hit Kevin Owens with the Samoan Spike for the win. Now, during this match, you saw chair shots be used all on the back of Solo and Kevin Owens. Even at one point, you saw Solo Sokoa like, throw Kevin Owens off the top turnbuckle onto chairs that Kevin Owens set up in the ring. So, Kevin Owens, again, took punishment. And, again, I've said this before, like, some years ago. I even tweeted it out. Kevin Owens is this generation's Mick Foley. Like, Mick Foley would take these dangerous, like, bumps for absolutely no reason and Kevin Owens he does that a lot whether it's him going against Braun Strowman years ago and Braun Strowman's like choke slam Kevin Owens off the steel cage like through the commentators table like literally you can watch it on WWE Network or YouTube that that's a thing from Kevin Owens and El Generico or better known as Sami Zayn now fighting on the independence and you just see like 
him again falling through like chairs. There were a lot of times where that type of stuff happened, and Kevin Owens just took unimaginable punishment because he just wants to do it to make the match better. So that's what happened here. Kevin Owens took the, that type of punishment to make the match better, but in the end, the Usos and Solo, the bloodline, they would reign supreme, and that's how Raw would go off with the Usos throwing their ones up and Solo Sokoa just being there with the bloodline standing tall. But with that, that is your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to NXT. NXT would have a couple things to note. First thing to note, JC Jane will be out for some time because she separated her shoulder last week. She would disclose that in a backstage interview. Also, we will be crowning a new NXT champion at Stand and Deliver. Maybe. Because Shawn Michaels did tweet out on NXT that uh, he will be having qualifying matches for the NXT Women's Championship. And he did say that we might have a new women's champion because they do not know the condition of Roxanne Perez at the moment. They just know that she will not be competing so far as stand and deliver. So they have to uh, have the decision to have a new NAC women's champion. If that time comes in at stand and deliver, we will have a ladder match for the NXT women's championship. And we would have some qualifying matches on this NXT episode here. Now, the first thing to start off on NXT, Johnny Gargano will come down to the ring. Johnny will say that it's been 15 months since he was last in NXT and that since people are talking about finishing the story, he feels that he has to finish his story in NXT. He will said whether he is on Raw or SmackDown, NXT will always be his home. He will then turn his attention to talk about Grayson Waller. Johnny will say the last time he was here in NXT, Grayson attacked him from behind and left him laying in table scraps. Johnny would admit he wasn't even mad at Grayson for doing that because Johnny would say that he could have came back but that was his gift to Grayson, so he could catapult himself into being an important part in NXT. And the last time somebody attacked him with a chair in the back, it was Tommaso Ciampa. And Tommaso went on becoming one of the greatest NXT champions. And he would ask, what did Grayson Waller do with this gift? He squandered it, failing to beat Braun Breaker twice for the NXT championship, and even blaming everyone but himself, to the point that he would bad mouth NXT. And that's where Johnny enters. Johnny would continue to talk about uh, Grayson Waller until Vic Joseph would show Johnny Gargano uh, Instagram Live, where Grayson Waller is at Johnny Gargano's home. Johnny would then leave the ring and then leave the arena and race towards home. Now, later in the night, we would get a follow-up of Johnny Gargano being home. He would drive up to his driveway, and he would start walking up his steps, and Grayson Waller would attack him from behind. Now, you see Johnny and Grayson Waller fighting outside, and then you would see Candace... Uh, holding their baby and they would basically stand on the front porch and just to make sure Johnny would be okay but in the end Johnny would get basically beat down by Grayson and Grayson would break a rake over the back of Johnny Gargano and Johnny is just laying there Grayson would badmouth Johnny in front of his wife and kid and then he would just walk away and I feel that their match as standing delivered between Johnny and Grayson it has to be now a no disqualification match or something of that like parameter or even a non-sanctioned match because you're not going to beat somebody up in front of their wife and child and leave them laying there and you just want a regular standard like wrestling match no this thing is far and beyond that now so hopefully next week on NXT we get some kind of update on changing that match from a regular standard one-on-one wrestling match to a non-sanctioned match hopefully now first matchup on NXT would be for the tag team championships it would be Gallus going against Pretty Deadly Gallus would retain their championships by pinfall when they would hit a running knee airplane spin slam 
on Kit Wilson for the win. So Gallus is still your tag team champions here. Later in the night, we will get a backstage interview with Pretty Deadly, and they talk about how now they are off the card of Stand and Deliver, and they don't know what they're going to be doing. But then they come up with a bright idea that they should host Stand and Deliver because the people love them. So they would talk to Sean. You don't see them talking to him, but it would be announced that Pretty Deadly will be the host of Stand and Deliver. So we have that. Now, the next matchup will be for the NXT Women's Qualifying Matchup. It will be Sol Ruka going against Zoe Stark. Zoe would win the match by pinfall when she would catch Sol Ruka springboarding into the ring and then hit the K630 for the win. So, Zoe has now qualified herself into that NXT Women's Championship ladder match as Stand and Deliver. The next matchup will be for the Triple Threat Tag Match where the winners will go to Stand and Deliver to fight for the NXT Women's Tag Team Championships. It will be Isla Dawn and Alba Fire going against Casey and Katana and Ivy Nile and Tatum Paxley. Now, Alba and Isla would win the match by pinfall thanks to part to Tatum turning her back on Ivy when she didn't want to get tagged in, yelling at Ivy we were never a team, and Tatum would kick Ivy in the stomach, and this will allow Isla Dawn to hit a backbreaker on Ivy, and Alba Fire will finish her off with a swanton bomb and cover her for the win. So, as Stand Deliver, we have Isla Dawn and Alba Fire going against Kiana James and Fallon Henley. Now, the reason why Tatum Paxley turned her back on Ivy now is because for weeks upon weeks, you would hear of Isla Dawn basically playing mind games with both Ivy Nile and Tatum questioning their tag team relationship here, and this basically confirmed it. Tatum was never ever looking to be a team with Ivy Nile. She was just playing her, so she got what she wanted here. Now, after this, we get Ilya Dragunov coming down to the ring. Ilya will say that ever since he has been at WWE, he has had to deal with JD McDonough, and he wants to end this so that he can go about his business and go on to championships. JD will come out and tell Ilya that Ilya has been obsessed with him. Ilya was the one that drove JD out of the UK and followed him to NXT and then stuck his nose in JD's quest to become an NXT champion. JD will say that Ilya loves pain, and JD loves finding new ways to inflict pain onto Ilya, so Ilya would tell JD that he wants to end it all next week in a match. JD would agree to it, and JD would look to headbutt Ilya, but Ilya would punch JD, and now we have a fight between both of the guys. They would fight in the ring, they'll fight out of the ring, backstage, into the parking lot, even again backstage as Wesley's trying to walk his way into the ring. And you would see Wesley telling JD, yo, you need to be careful because Ilya's going to hurt him. And you see JD just like pie face Wes. Wes would try to get involved and try to punch uh, JD, but the referees would separate Wes and tell him to get to the ring because it's now time for the North American Championship Open Challenge. And we would never get this official matchup started because just like last time when Wes had the Open Challenge, you will see the roster fighting their way to get to the ring to see who's going to actually accept the challenge. Wes will be in the ring wondering who's going to take his challenge up. Axiom would get in the ring, but as it seems that we're about to get the match started, Scripps would jump from the top turnbuckle onto Axiom, and this would send Axiom out of the ring, and now Wes is still without a challenger. And then you will see JD McDonough get in the ring, and he will punch Wes. And now you see Wes wanting to do something, but then you see Ilya get in the ring, and you see Ilya continue to fight with JD, and they will leave the ring. Wes would decide to jump over the top rope onto people outside of the ring and start fighting with everyone. So we never, ever get the North American Championship uh, Open Challenge happening here. Now, later in the night, they would show a video of Shawn Michaels talking to Wesley in the hallway, talking about how this Open Challenge stuff is keeping him causing chaos. 
and he wants Wes to kind of calm it down. Wes would tell Sean that he feels that he has to prove himself since he is a champion here and he just wants to give challenges and opportunities to everybody since Sean was able to give that to him. Sean would tell Wes that, okay, at Stand and Deliver, you will get to compete in a fatal five-way for the North American Championship and you'll get to pick your four competitors. Wes would agree to it, so we have that set up. And right now, we do not know who his uh, opponents will be at Stand and Deliver. If I'm going to just go off of this, I think we probably might get Axiom in it. I think we might get JD and Ilya. The last person, it shouldn't be Scripps. I just don't know who the last person could be. I know those three will be nice for the West uh, match because every single one of them are different. So right now, my feeling is West. Axiom, JD, and Ilya. I just can't figure out who that fifth person would be. Hopefully, in due time, we'll see uh, who that fifth person could be. Now, after this, we get Apollo Crews going against Dabakato. Dabakato would win the match by pinfall when Kato would hit a Baldo bomb on the steel steps. He would get in the ring and try to have the referee count Apollo out. Apollo would beat the 10 count, and then you see Dabakato again hit another Baldo bomb, but this time inside of the ring, and then cover uh, Apollo for the win. So Daba has one up in their rivalry with himself and Apollo. Now after this, we get another NXT Women's Championship qualifying matchup with Kiana James going against Gigi Dolan. Gigi would win the match by hitting the Gigi driver for the win. So Gigi has qualified, and now it's Gigi and Zoe Starks, who are at Stand and Deliver, going to be in the ladder match for the NXT Women's Championship. Now, we don't know how many other women are going to be qualifying. They did make note that next week they're going to be more women qualifying for the matchup. So I wonder how many women are going to be in this ladder match as Stand and Deliver. I think they're going to try to put Tiffany Stratton in it because she was supposed to like go after the NXT Women's Championship. So we'll have to wait and see next week. After the match, however, you would see Isla Dawn and Alba Fire attack Keanu James. And then you will see Brooks Jensen running down to the ring for Keanu's rescue. And this will stop Isla Dawn and Alba Fire from attacking Keanu James. Now, later you will go backstage. You will see Keanu James and Brooks talking backstage. You see Fallon and Briggs walk up on them. And you would see Keanu basically asking both Fallon and Briggs where were they when she was getting attacked. Briggs and Fallon do not let Kiana nor Brooks know that they were snooping around in Kiana's office earlier in the day because they are suspecting that Kiana is cheating on Brooks. So that's the reason why they were late to basically helping out Kiana James here. And again, they're still implying that Kiana's cheating. They're trying to snoop around to see who she's cheating on uh, Brooks with. And hopefully this thing will come to an end as Stand and Deliver either with this team either imploding or the mystery dude popping up and we get a new guy in NXT and actually proves Fallon's whole theory about Kiana just being a backstabber to Brooks. So hopefully we get to that at Stand and Deliver because I know that's what they're building up to. Now off to the main segment, the contract signing between the NXT champion Braun Breaker and Carmelo Hayes to make their match at Stand and Deliver official. And might I say this was the most professional like contract signing between both competitors I have ever seen in professional wrestling, if I'm going to be honest. This was just nothing but Carmelo and Braun giving nothing but accolades and just praise to one another. You would start off with Melo telling Braun that he's carried the NXT Championship for as far as he could. He's dominated. He's done everything he can. He's taken that championship as far 
But as they deliver, Braun will be number two, and Melo plans on taking that NXT championship farther than Braun has ever thought about taking it. Braun will repay Melo for his kind words by saying that Melo made the North American championship the top championship in Melo's eyes because he wasn't ready to challenge for the NXT championship. And now that he feels that he's ready, Braun wants the Melo that is confident enough. He doesn't want the Melo that was carrying around the North American championship. He wants the Melo that is ready that he knows is confident enough to take that NXT championship away from Braun. And again, this is nothing but a compliment battle between Melo and Braun throughout this whole entire thing. And again, I've never seen that in wrestling. It's always one person bad-mouthing the other, but this tells you how much respect and admiration Braun and Melo truly have for each other. And pretty deadly, they will be the moderators for this since they are the host of Stand and Deliver, and they would try to insert the little two cents in the whole matter, but Braun and Melo will shut them down every single time. And when it came down to them signing the contract, they will sign it and they will shake hands. And as they're about to leave the ring, Pretty Deadly would try to hype it up, saying, Hey, the fans came out here for some drama, some entertainment. You guys can't just leave it like that. So you see Melo and Braun, they take off their shirt, and now you think that they're about to get into it, but they just look at Pretty Deadly and they back suplex Pretty Deadly into the table, breaking it. And then you see Braun and Melo have a stare down one more time with Braun lifting up the NXT Championship. And I had no problem with this face down, to be honest with you. Because, again, this is the first time I've ever seen in professional wrestling two guys that actually have as much admiration and respect for each other literally sign a contract with none of the competitors actually getting mean mugging or just taking, like, a punch at someone or each other. So I was happy to see this twist on a contract signing. Hopefully we get more of that. But we all know what a contract signing usually is meant for. Chaos and like trouble between both competitors. But we didn't get that here. And it was a it was good to see that. Now, with that being said, that is your NXT wrestling highlights of the week. Now we're off to AEW Dynamite, and Dynamite would open up with MJF's rebar mitzvah. MJF will come out here, they're in Canada, and he will come out here crapping on Bret Hart. Bret Hart is a Canadian uh, wrestling icon and hero. And he would say that Shawn Michaels was always better. And then he would start talking about himself and how it's his birthday and how he's of the Jewish uh, faith. And he would talk about losing his V-car at his first uh, bar mitzvah like a complete tool. And MJF would proclaim himself as the real Iron Man since he beat Brian Danielson in an Iron Man match at Revolution. MJF would then call people out so they can hoist him up in the middle of the ring as in the Jewish tradition. So people would come out there, they would hoist him up in the middle of the ring and all that good stuff before Jungle Boy Jack Perry would come down to the ring. Then Sammy Guevara would come out to the ring. Then Darby Allen would come out to the ring. And now you have the four pillars of AEW. That's what they're uh, billed as. That's what basically people in AEW build MJF, Sammy, Jungle Boy, and Darby Allen as past, present, and future of AEW here. And MJF would act like a spoiled brat because they are ruining his birthday. And he would ask them, what do they want? And in unison, all three men would say that they wanted a title match. And then each guy would start airing their grievances out on MJF. Jungle Boy would start first by saying MJF is out here acting like a spoiled brat. And that the last time they wrestled each other was at 2020's Double or Nothing. And MJF had to cheat to win. Jungle Boy would say that MJF is a spoiled child that continues to feel entitled because... Ever since he's been in AEW, he's been treated like the company owes him something. Like he's the center of the company's universe. While everybody else basically had to play a backseat role to MJF. 
Then you get Sammy Guevara talking, and Sammy will say that it took him 10 years of grinding on the indies and working various odd jobs for him to even be in AEW. And at first, when he got to AEW, he was brought in to be uh, Chris Jericho's group, but just to be the fall guy of the group. But now he's at the position that he's in because of nothing but hard work. While, again, MGF, he was handed everything since he got in here. He had to politic, he had to kiss butt just to be in the position that he's in. Then it was time for Darby, and Darby would basically say that he's tired of people in the back complaining on Twitter, complaining on social media for not being used on television and talking about how they want to be out of their contracts. And to me, I feel that that's a real-life grievance that Darby Allen has because I believe that's a lot of grievance that everybody has at AEW when people are not happy there. And you see your coworkers complaining on social media, and you would just want to say, yo, just quit. Darby basically just threw out the challenge to everybody right there. If you're not happy, just quit. And he would basically say that AEW is the only place that will allow him to be himself. He doesn't want to go anywhere because AEW is his home, unlike certain people, and that includes MJF. So now it's time for MJF to retort, and MJF would admit that all four of them are the pillars of AEW. But the difference between himself and the three of them is that he actually makes people care about him. And that's the reason why he constantly gets put on TV and they don't. He basically would say that they all suck. So he would tell them that they would have to leave. And basically he would walk into each one of their faces. And when he got to Jungle Boy, he would pie face Jungle Boy. And Jungle Boy would basically just bash MGF in the back of the head with a microphone. Then you see Sammy uh, hit Jungle Boy with a jumping knee. Then Darby would uh, hit Sammy. And then you see MJF on the ring apron trying to gather himself. And you would see them basically uh, bump into MJF, sending MJF flying onto a table that was holding his birthday cake on it. And MJF would crash onto the table with the birthday cake. And now he has cake all smothered all over him. And he would just walk up the ramp looking basically pissed off and being embarrassed. And I know where they're going with this here, and I like the route that they went with this. I did not expect for us to get a Fatal 4-Way match. I didn't even think that was in the cards, personally. But to see where I think they're leading to with Double or Nothing with Jungle Boy, Darby, Sammy, and MJF for the AEW World Championship, is still, it's still in the beginning stages of it, if that's where they're going. But I hope that's where they're going. I can see it has multiple layers and legs to grow because, again, MJF, he has beaten each one of these guys in singles competition, and he has said this to each one of the guys in the ring. So it's going to be real interesting to see how MJF kinds of make each one of them turn on each other because, yes, they all are different. They all are pillars of AEW, but I believe in unison, they want to become world champion, basically take the title off of MGF because they feel that MGF is a complete, total brat. So it's just going to be interesting to see how they stack up this layer by layer until double or nothing. But again, we're still in the beginning stages of this, if that's the direction they want to go. And I feel that's the direction they should be going. Now, onto the first match of the night. It's the trios match of Blackpool Combat Club's John Moxley, the Ring of Honor World Champion Claudio Castagnoli and the Ring of Honor Pure Champion Willie Yuta going against Hangman Page and Dark Order's Evil Uno and Stu Grayson. I believe this is just a one-off appearance for Stu Grayson. Stu Grayson is not signed back with AEW. He's still a freelancer or independent wrestler now. So it was good to see Stu here. Um, Moxley will get the win for his team when Claudio would hit Grayson with a pop-up 
uppercut, and then Mox would apply a sleeper hold, making Grayson tap out. Now, during this match, there will be points and times where the crowd will get loud and abrupt and just go crazy because you got to see their own guys, their Canadian guys, Evil Uno and uh, Stu Grayson, basically run the ring, beating up Moxley, beating up Claudio, beating up Yuta. And at one point, you almost thought that they were going to win when they hit fatality on John Moxley, but Moxley would kick out. And it was so good to see Stu Grayson back here. This is one of the guys that I can't believe that did not want to re-sign with AEW or AEW just decided, you know, we don't want to sign him back. I think that is a complete misstep on AEW side. They should try to find a way to get Stu Grayson back because that match right there proves why him and Evil Uno should be together as a tag team in AEW. They worked well. They always worked well when they were on Independence, but now when they had the main stage, they did well on their like beginning stages of AEW when they were there, but Again, to see Stu not here with Uno, it just seems weird. And I know we're going to go back to that next week. So I'm glad Stu got to have this moment with Evil Uno in front of their people in Canada. Now, getting back to the action, after the match, Moxley would not let go of the sleeper hold, and he would transition it into the Bulldog Choke. Evil Uno would try to help out, but would get attacked by Yuta and Claudio. And Hangman Page was knocked out earlier in the middle of the match because the referee did not see Moxley hit Hangman with a ring bell. Now, Alex Reynolds and John Silver would run down to the ring to make the save, and you would see the Blackpool Combat Club leave the ring and go into the crowd. And it would show later in the night in the main event, you would see uh, Hangman, Reynolds, and Silver still battling with Moxley, Claudio, and Yuta. So they found a way to continue their fight even in the main event, like in the backstage area. But I'll get more to that in a minute when I talk about the main event. Now on to the TBS Championship matchup here. This is an open challenge. Jay Cargill, Willie LeGray in her corner, going against anybody from Canada, and they decided to go with Nicole Matthews. Uh, Jade would win the match by pitfall in quick fashion by hitting Jaded. Now Jade is 54-0, and she is still the TBS Champion. After the match, Jade would get interviewed and asked what kind of competition she is looking for. Jade would intimidate Renee Paquette, then take the mic away from her and ask Canada, is that all you have to offer? Now, Jade would hear some music. AEW should have fixed the music level because you didn't hear much of the music, uh, at least at home and probably inside the arena you did. But you would see Jade turn towards the entrance stage and you would see on the Titantron it would read Taya Valkyrie. So Taya Valkyrie is here at AEW. She'll make her way down to the ring. She will get in the face of Jade, and they will have a stare down. And Layla Gray will try to attack Taya, but Jade would stop Layla from doing this. And you will see Jade leave the ring. Layla Gray will still try to attack Taya, but Taya would strike uh, Layla and then lift her up and hit Jaded as Jade would watch. And it was announced that Taya Valkyrie is now signed to AEW thanks to Tony Khan's Twitter page. So Taya Valkyrie is now with AEW. As I will get more into Taya Valkyrie's situation on Impact when I give you my Impact uh, Wrestling Highlights of the Week in a minute after Dynamite here. Now off to the AEW International Championship matchup here. Arch Cassidy going against Jeff Jarrett with Satnam Singh and Sanjay Dutton in his corner. Arch Cassidy would win the match by pinfall when Jeff Jarrett would look to hit Orange with a stroke, but Orange would push Jeff into the ropes and hit Orange Punch for the win. So Orange Cassidy is your AEW International Champion. And I must say, I wouldn't have been mad if Jeff Jarrett won the matchup, to be honest with you. Because Jeff Jarrett is able to make people 
hate him. He's actually able to make people boo him to the point that they just constantly boo and boo and boo him. And you will have him use Sanjay Dutt and Satnam Singh in this matchup here. You will see them get basically uh, banned from ringside by one of the referees coming down to the ring and tossing them out. You will see Jay Lethal try to, well, he did interfere and try to help Jeff Jarrett win the matchup here, and that still didn't work. Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt, and Satnam Singh, they have a thing where they can actually make people hate and boo them. Jeff Jarrett is just that old school veteran who actually has that ability to make people just hate him. Not the MJF fact where people love to hate MJF. No, people actually just boo Jeff Jarrett. They don't want to see him there. So for him to be in this match with Orange Cassidy, a guy that's so beloved in AEW, it made perfect sense. And again, they worked so well. Jeff Jarrett worked the old school style and he was actually able to target a body part on Orange Cassidy with Orange Cassidy constantly trying to protect his uh, right knee that constantly got battered and brutalized. I mean, it was a good match. And again, if AEW ever decided to put a championship on Jeff Jarrett, I don't think I'm going to be mad. I think that would be perfect personally. And hopefully, I ain't gonna lie, I thought they were going to do that with this match here, but Orange Cassidy is still your uh, champion. Now, after this, we get the Outcasts, which are Ruby Soho, Soraya, and Tony Storm. That's their group name coming down to the ring. And once they get in the ring, they would say that without them, there would be no women's division. And people should be glad they are here in AEW. Tony would remember being AEW Women Interim Champion and smiling through it as the people were hating her. But the current champion, Jamie Hayter, would cheat to beat her, and now the people love Jamie Hayter. So Tony would let the people know that they are here to give the people what they need and not what they want. And they are here to beat some respect into the AEW women's locker room. Now you'll see Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter run down to the ring, and at first Britt and Jamie would actually be able to hold their own against the outcasts and actually overpower them until the numbers were too much, and you see the outcasts start beating up on Jamie and Britt. Then you see Riho coming down with a pipe, followed by Sky Blue and Willow Nightingale, and they would run down to the ring, and the Outcast would retreat. And now we are really setting the lines of the Outcast going against the AEW Women's Division. And again, I think somebody from the Women's Division is going to side with the Outcast, because it's still just three women against the whole locker room. I don't see that really floating for some well. I think it's going to hold out and hold out until somebody jumps ship. And again, I think it still, to me, might be Chris Statlander. Maybe. It's just me floating an idea here. Now, off to the main event. Triple Threat Trios Championship Match. The Jericho Appreciation Society's members, Sammy Guevara, Dave Garcia, and Chris Jericho, going against the Elite, going against the champions, the House of Black. Now, the House of Black would win the match by pitfall when the House of Black would annihilate Dave Garcia with a pop-up knee to the face then a solid kick to the head, and they finish it off with Dante's Inferno to win, and House of Black are still your trio's champions. And this was a good way to end off Dynamite. You had uh, Winnipeg's own Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega. They got two of the biggest uh, reception, crowd reception, and cheers of the night. And at times in the match, you would think you were going to get Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega until someone from either 
uh, Jericho Appreciation Society running in to try to attack Kenny or somebody from the Elite trying to attack Chris or somebody from House of Black trying to attack both guys. And then we will finally get Chris Jericho and Kenny going at it. And again, people were excited to see that. Um, you saw Chris Jericho and Kenny work together to take out Brody King because he was the biggest man in this whole trios championship matchup here. You saw the Elite do their thing. You saw Kenny Omega do his thing here. I mean, everybody in this match was just firing off on all cylinders. You even had Sammy Guevara and Diego Garcia working well with Chris Jericho here. And House of Black, there's nothing I can say about House of Black that will deter anybody. House of Black are a great trios uh, champions. They're great. And they're finally starting to get the recognition that they absolutely deserve because, boy, oh, boy, they had a whole lot of potential in 2022 until that stuff got squashed. So now to see them here as champions, and again, I wasn't too certain of them to be champions whenever they went against the Elite at Revolution, but I'm full on board now with them actually holding on to the trio's championships here. Now, after the match, you would see uh, House of Black standing tall. You would see Jake Hager running down to the ring to check on his uh, Jericho Appreciation Society members. Hager would get in the ring, and House of Black would start beating up on Jake Hager. Then you see uh, Jericho, Garcia, Guevara try to get in there. And again, House of Black are taking care of them. Then on the entrance stage, you would see uh, Blackpool Combat Clubs, Claudio, Mox, and Udo still battling with Heyman Page, Alex Reynolds, and John Silver. And you will see Claudio and Udo take care of Reynolds and Silver as Moxley is hanging around with Hangman. And Hangman would do battle. He'll throw Yuta into the ring. Hangman will get in there. Him and Yuta are fighting. And then you will start seeing uh, Moxley and Claudio start getting on the ring apron and they would get in the ring and now Hangman standing there and as he's staring down with the Blackpool Combat Club the Elite would get in the ring and be behind Hangman and now the fans are cheering because now you have the original Elite in the ring you have Hangman you have Kenny and the Bucks and now you have the Blackpool Combat Club Moxley sees what's going down and he tells his guys he, let's go they leave the ring Moxley seeing this. Hangman is still oblivious. He doesn't know that the elite are behind him. And as the cameras are starting to fade to black, you start seeing Hangman turn around and looking at the elite. And that's how AEW Dynamite turns off. So we're going to build off into Hangman Page and the elite trying to get back together. I think everybody knew that was in the cards. It's been brewing for some time. They've been uh, throwing little subliminals here and there either in the locker rooms or on being the elite. It's time for Heyman and the elite to actually come back together and be one group again. But again, it's still going to be fun because I think we're still waiting for one guy to come back. One guy in particular, and I think we all know who it is because, again, his contract has not been announced of termination, CM Punk. And it's just going to be funny when Punk comes back and you see the elite all back together and Punk's probably going to be his first feud back with the elite. And I think that's where the big money comes into. So hopefully that's where all this leads down to. But if it doesn't, I'm cool with just having the elite actually being back together. So with that being said, that was your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week.
Now we're off to Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling will open up with a tag team matchup of Mike Bailey and Jonathan Gresham going against Decay's Black Tarus and Crazy Steve. Mike Bailey and Jonathan Gresham would win the match by pinfall when Bailey would hit Ultimate Weapon on the back of Black Tarus and covered him for the win. Jonathan Gresham would play uh, keep away to make sure that Crazy Steve would not break up the pinfall here. Now the next matchup was Steve Macklin going against Heath. Macklin would win the match by pinfall by hitting the KIA, which is a double underhook DDT, on Heath for the win. Now, this is just giving Macklin some momentum as he's going to be facing Josh Alexander for the Impact World Championship at Rebellion. So, they're trying to give Macklin more wins under his belt here. Now, after this, the next matchup will be Johnny Swinger with Zicky Dice in his corner going against Jay Vidal with Giselle Shaw and Savannah Evans in his corner. Vidal would win the match by pinfall thanks to chaos happening outside of the ring. When Johnny Swinger had Vidal in the camel clutch, Savannah Evans would pull Vidal out of the ring. The ref would see it and tell Savannah and Giselle Shaw to go to the back. Now, you will see Deanna Perrazzo run down to the ring and attack Giselle from behind. This will have security run down to the ring to separate Deanna from Giselle and Savannah Evans. And in the ring, Swinger would be watching the chaos happening outside. And when he turned back to look at Vidal, Vidal would hit Johnny Swinger with a running single leg dropkick and cover Swinger for the win here. So Johnny Swinger is still trying to get his 50 wins so he can at least compete for the Impact World Championship. It's not going to happen. I don't see it happening. He thought he can get an easy win on Jay Vidal, but that didn't happen here. So we're probably going to have to wait and see who Johnny Swinger is going to try to go against next week to try to at least get a win, at least one win on his uh look to get 50 wins. Now, after this, we have Eddie Edwards coming down to the ring. And he will say that he has decided ever since dissolving Honor No More, he has made the decision to let go of everything. He wants to start anew and let his past be in the past. And he wants to focus on his future in Impact Wrestling. At least that's what he has been trying to do. But his past keeps coming after him. And he's referencing PCO here because he's referencing PCO constantly going after him. And he mentions that last week he took care of PCO when him and PCO fought in the desert. And the car would hit PCO in the desert last week, saving Eddie Edwards here. Eddie would show that video to the audience. And he would say that since PCO is gone, he at least now can move forward with his uh, future. Now, that would not be the case here because PCO would then walk out onto the stage. And from behind, Kenny King would hit PCO in the back with a shovel. So they're trying to let you guys know that Kenny King is the guy working with Eddie Edwards still. He was the guy that probably ran over PCO last week in the car, and he's helping Eddie here. Now, you will see Kenny King and Eddie Edwards hit a double backdrop on PCO on the ramp, and they would think that they're done with PCO. But nope, PCO would get up, and he would actually go after Eddie and Kenny. Now, at first, PCO would have everything under control, but as usual, two is greater than one, and Kenny and Eddie would basically beat up on PCO. You would see them beat him up. You would see Kenny King grab a chair. You would see Eddie Edwards hit PCO in the head with a kendo stick. You would see Kenny hold the chair up to PCO's head. Eddie Edwards would hit PCO with a Boston knee party on the chair. And then Eddie would grab up his kendo stick and hit PCO's head that still has a chair on it with the kendo stick. Now, Kenny King and Eddie Edwards have laid out PCO. And that's the end of it for this segment here. Now, do I think PCO is going to come back next week to go after Eddie? Yes. 
When do I think this thing with Eddie Edwards and PCO will end? I have no idea. I think that it should end quickly because I'm rather getting tired of seeing PCO and Eddie Edwards at least going after each other. This has been going on for a good couple months. And I understand the whole deal. Eddie Edwards was tormenting PCO and honor no more. I get it. But there should be a time and place. You guys already had your time. You guys are well over that time for it. You guys should just be done with it. So hopefully after this beatdown, I'm hoping that it's done. I'm not even going to lie to you. Now, after this, we will have the Knockouts Tag Team Championship matchup of the Coven, which consists of Kylie King and Taylor Wilde going against the Death Dolls, Rosemary, and Taya with Jessica in their corner. The Coven would win the match by pinfall, becoming the new Knockouts Tag Team Champions, when Kylie King would hit Taya Valkyrie with the inside-out pump handle slam for the win. Now, it was announced last week on Twitter that Kylie King was signed to Impact Wrestling, so she's now on the roster here. And also with me also mentioning that Taya Valkyrie has been signed now to AEW. I believe this was Taya's swan song going off into AEW. So with that, I'm glad Taya did the right thing and she was the person actually getting pinned here. So Kylie King's in and Taya's out. So that's the end of Taya's time in Impact Wrestling. Now off to the main event, a six-man tag match. Bullet Club's Kenta and the Impact Tag Team Champions, Chris Bay and Ace Austin going against the Impact World Champion, Josh Alexander, Frankie Kazarian, and Rich Swan. Chris Bay would get the win for Bullet Club when Josh Alexander was going for the C4 spike on Ace Austin, but he would be too focused on Steve Maglin, who was on the entrance ramp staring at Josh Alexander. Now, Josh focusing so much on Steve Macklin, he wouldn't see Kenta come in and kick him in the head, and this would make Josh roll out of the ring. Now, you see Rich Swan get in. He starts trying to fight both Austin and Kenta, and he would work until, again, the numbers would get too much for him, and you would see Chris Bay hit Rich Swan with the Art of Finesse, and then Ace Austin would hit him with the fold, and then you would see Chris Bay pin Rich Swan for the win. Now, after the match, you would see Kazarian... Talk to Josh Alexander, ask him why didn't he hit the C4 spike on Ace, and he would try to explain to him that he saw Steve Macklin, and you would see basically Bullet Club just hold up their championships in the air, and that's how Impact goes off. So we're starting to see the mind games that Steve Macklin is playing with Josh Alexander as they're going into their title match at Rebellion. So expect more mind games from Macklin onto Alexander in the following weeks to come. Now, with that being said, that is your Impact Wrestling Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to SmackDown. SmackDown would have something to note that the great Muda will be inducted into this year's Hall of Fame. This is a great thing for Muda because this is just something to add on to his list of accomplishments. Since this is his last year uh, wrestling, technically, he's already retired. He had his match at Wrestle Kingdom. He had his final match with uh, Chono and Noah. So for him to be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame this year, I just think it would be a great way to cap it off for at least the North American fans to at least get to know who Muda was if you're not so knowledgeable of him. And I would think it'd be a best way to plug all the Japanese wrestling as well whenever he does get inducted. But hopefully uh, that gets mentioned in his Hall of Fame speech. Now, off to the first thing that happens on SmackDown, Cody Rhodes would come to the ring. Cody would mention that since they are on the road to WrestleMania, tensions are high and people are start ruffling each other's feathers. But Cody makes it known that he can't wait to get in the ring with Roman Reigns this Monday and he can't wait to beat him at WrestleMania. However, Cody wants to talk to Kevin Owens, so he calls Kevin Owens out to the ring. Cody would tell Kevin Owens to listen before he says anything, because this conversation isn't about the two of them, it's about three people, and he would call Sami Zayn out. 
Sami Zayn will come to the ring. Cody will let Kevin Owens know that he has an immountable amount of respect for Kevin Owens because when Cody was leaving the WWE, Kevin Owens gave Cody some contacts when he left WWE to make his career turn for the better. And he's talking about the Young Bucks for the people that are not aware. And aforementioned, you know how the rest uh, went in Cody's life whenever he left the WWE. And because of that, Cody wants to repay Kevin Owens and kind of be the moderator to try to get Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn back on the same page. Kevin Owens at first would say that he has heard everything that Sami has had to say, but Sami would ask Kevin Owens, what is the reason they can't get back on the same page after all the hurtful things they have done to each other? They've always at least had some type of friendship or some type of bond between them. And Sami makes it clear that he wants Kevin Owens to just let him know what the problem is. Kevin would ask Cody, is that what he wanted? Is he satisfied? Cody would say that they're in the service industry and that he wants what everybody wants. And that's for Kevin Owens and Sammy to get back on the same page. Sammy would again try to get Kevin to realize that they need each other to take the bloodline down. Even if they don't want to be friends anymore, then you will see Kevin Owens tell Cody that he came out here because he has respect for Cody and he's heard all of this. And he knows that Sammy wants to team up with him for the best of business and to take the bloodline down and all that stuff. That's great. But why would he want to team with someone that doesn't even want to be his friend? And you will see Kevin Owens hand Cody the mic and then leave the ring. And you will pan over to Sammy just have a look of shock on his face. Because I believe Sammy just realized exactly what the true problem is with him and Kevin. So we would go to commercial. We would go back. You'll see Kevin Owens in the parking lot. He's going off to his car. Sammy would run up to Kevin and tell him just to listen and hear him out. He would tell Kevin, forget about the bloodline, forget about everything. And he lets him know that he does want to be friends with Kevin. As a matter of fact, they are friends and that they are brothers and that they always will be brothers. Even if Kevin doesn't want to speak to him ever again, Sammy reaffirms Kevin, we're always going to be brothers. Okay. And after he says this, you see Kevin Owens look at Sammy and he wants to say something, but then he just gets in his car and drives off. And later in the night, you will see Sami Zayn talk to Jay Uso, but I'll get to that when it's time. Now, the first match of the night will be a mixed tag match. Rhea Ripley and Dominic Mysterio going against Santos Escobar and Selena Vega. Rhea Ripley will get the win for her and Dominic when Rhea would hit the Riptide on Selena for the win. And after the match, Dominic will get a mic and talk about how Rey Mysterio is a disrespectful, deadbeat dad. And as Dominic would talk on the Titantron, you will see Ray walking backstage as he walks to the ring. Now, once Ray gets in the ring, Ray will ask Rhea for a moment with his son, and Rhea will step aside and let Dom and Ray have a talk. Dom would continue to run down Ray as he has done for months, and Ray would admit to not being the best father in the world, missing events, but he still tells Dom that he still loves his son. Ray would also say that all those moments that he missed was that so he can give his family the best of everything, designer clothes, the best cars, everything. Ray would start getting choked up and he would tell Dom that he would like Dom to stand beside him when he's being inducted into the Hall of Fame and Dom would start to shake his head no. Ray would understand and Ray would then start turning up a little bit on Dom, something that we haven't seen not even in months from Ray. This is something that was completely brand new out of Ray Mysterio here. But my biggest regret is what you have become. I'll tell you what, if someone like you, some ungrateful, disrespectful, 
pathetic. Punk ass kid called me out at WrestleMania. I would gladly whoop their ass. Unfortunately, you're my son, and fighting you would be the biggest disgrace as a father. So with Ray saying all this, he would then leave the ring and start walking up the ramp. Don would still try to run down Ray Mysterio and say that he is pathetic. And we're at least getting somewhere closer to Ray at least thinking of the idea of taking up his son on a match at WrestleMania. Because you got to remember for months and months, Dom has been running down Ray and Ray would never say anything. He would try to convince his son to turn around, don't say that, try to at least bring him back over to the light side or the good side or whoever may have you. And Don just constantly just pushes and pushes. And Ray never ever said anything back. Now we're starting to get Ray to say something back to Dom. So I feel within these next couple weeks. And I mean they only literally got what? Two more weeks until WrestleMania happens? I think within these final two weeks. Either on Raw or SmackDown. Probably literally that SmackDown before WrestleMania. I think we're probably going to get Ray at least accepting the gauntlet. With Dominic to have a match at WrestleMania. Because... I think they played it up way too much, and I mean for months, for this not to be the case at WrestleMania. And if it doesn't, I don't know what's the end game here. I really don't. Now, off to the next match. We had Raquel Rodriguez and Liv Morgan going against Emma and Tegan Knox. Liv will get the win for her team by pinfall, when Raquel will hit Emma with a Tejano bomb, then tagging Liv, and Liv will hit Oblivion for the win. Now, with winning this match, Liv and Raquel are going to WrestleMania to compete in a tag Fatal 4-Way match. The other competitors have not been determined yet. Now, after this, the SmackDown Women's Champion Charlotte Flair will come to the ring. Charlotte would mention how no matter how things change, everything stays the same. Charlotte would mention that in all of her WrestleMania appearances, she has either been the challenger, the champion, but she has always been the star. Charlotte would also mention that in her past history with Rhea at WrestleMania, Rhea has failed, and this time will be no different. Now we have Rhea and Dominic coming down to the ring. Rhea will tell Charlotte that she is right about one thing, and that's Rhea chose Charlotte to be her opponent at WrestleMania. She chose Charlotte because Charlotte doesn't fear her like everyone else in the locker room does, and that pisses Rhea off. Rhea will also mention how Charlotte is a star, and that by beating Charlotte, that will make Rhea a star, and Rhea wants to become a star. Dom would get in the face of Charlotte, and this would all be a distraction to allow Rhea to hit a cheap shot on Charlotte Flair. Now you see Dom and Rhea leave the ring. Charlotte would get up, leave the ring to attack Rhea Ripley. Now you have a fight outside of the ring between Charlotte and Rhea. You see security, refs, and even backstage officials coming out to try to separate both ladies. And each time they would separate Rhea or Charlotte, you would see Rhea and Charlotte like fight the people that are holding them back, and they would try to get back just scrapping with each other. Now, Charlotte and Rhea would fight into the crowd, and people would grab Charlotte to bring her back over the barricade, and you will see Dom holding Rhea right there, and Charlotte will hold her the SmackDown Women's Championship in the ring, and that's how this segment will end. And I'll at least say this, this SmackDown segment right here saved Charlotte and Rhea Ripley in my eyes, to be honest with you. Because for weeks upon weeks, Rhea and Charlotte have only talked, and they only be these brief little moments of them talking. They haven't gotten this big WrestleMania buildup, and I believe that with this altercation of them actually brawling now, 
we at least added some fire to this thing to at least make people more interested in this match at WrestleMania, especially since it's already been like speculated. And since Rhea did win the Royal Rumble, Rhea and Charlotte will be main eventing night one of WrestleMania. So I feel that with this altercation, it at least bought some uh, boastfulness back into this rivalry between both of these ladies going into WrestleMania. Now, after this, we get Xavier Woods going against LA Knight. Xavier will get the win by pinfall, but hitting the backwoods on LA Knight for the win. Now, after this, we get the Sheamus versus uh, Drew McIntyre match, where the winner will be facing Gunther for the Intercontinental Championship at WrestleMania. However, the match would end a no contest when both Drew and Sheamus were knocked down on the mat after hitting each other with a big boot to the face. The referee would start counting for one of the men to get to their feet. And at the count of eight, Gunther would get in the ring and start yelling at the ref. You will see Gunther then turn and look at Drew and Sheamus and tell them that they need to get to their feet. Who is going to be the one that he'll be facing at WrestleMania? And as Drew and Sheamus would get to their feet, Ludwig Kaiser and Giovanni Vinci would attack Drew and Sheamus from behind, making the referee call for the bell. Gunther would hit Drew with a dropkick, and then he would clothesline Sheamus. Gunther would then powerbomb Sheamus on the back of Drew, and then Gunther would leave the ring with the rest of Imperium. And as they would walk up the ramp, Adam Pearce would appear on the Titantron, and Pearce will let Gunther know that at WrestleMania, he will defend the Intercontinental Championship in a triple threat match against Drew McIntyre and Sheamus. And everybody kind of expected that, to be honest with you. Uh, it was already speculated last week once Drew and Sheamus both won the quote-unquote Fatal Five-Way match uh, and they couldn't get a winner. Everybody was already chanting triple threat last week, and we all knew it was coming this way. So now that it's already been made official, I just know that's going to be the legit heavy hittest uh, style match at WrestleMania, and that might even be everybody's dark horse to at least be match of the whole WrestleMania weekend. But again, time will tell. Now off to the main event segment, Jay Uso and Sami Zayn in-ring confrontation. And I'm just going to play it for you right here. From day one, I didn't like you. From day one, I didn't trust you. They know that. I didn't want you around my family at all. But then, week after week, Sammy, they start liking you. Jimmy like you. Solo like you. Wise man like you. Hell, even the tribal chief like you. But not me. Not me, Sammy. As a boy, I always thought it was my job to protect my family, and I will today. Tell me where the aim I'm shooting. So the one time I put my guard down, there's somebody who I thought loved me. What you do? You betray me. You embarrass me. You made me look stupid in front of the whole damn world, Sammy. I called you my brother. You know what that mean to me? Hey, somebody said I second-guess myself all the time. She might be right, but I know one thing from day one, you has always been a fake-ass oops. What happened next? I ain't got no choice. No, no, that's a lie. You keep saying that, that you got no choice. Guess what, Jay? You've had a choice since day one, and you choose to take Roman Reigns' abuse over and over and over. That is your choice. I love you. I love this family. I love the family. You understand? But I wasn't going to take that every week the way you did, Jay. You keep choosing it. I don't think you're mad at me, Jay. I think you're mad at yourself. You're not mad that I hit Roman Reigns with that steel chair. You're just mad that you didn't get to do it first. Now, after Samuel said what he said, the fans would start chanting, you're not Usi. Jay would say he is Usi, and then he would form Sammy in the face. 
And now we have a brawl between Sammy and Jay in the ring. Sammy has Jay down as he's beating up on Jay. Jimmy would appear and he would get in the ring and fight with Sammy. Sammy would fight Jay and Sammy gets the better of Jimmy before eating a super kick from Jay Uso. Now the Usos are beating up on Sammy and then you will hear Kevin Owens music hit. Now the Usos will look at the ramp waiting for Kevin Owens to appear but KO would appear behind them. Kevin Owens would put a beating on the Usos hitting Jimmy with a stunner and hitting Jay with a pop of power bomb. This would make the Usos retreat out of the ring. And you would see Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn be the only two guys in the ring. The fans would start chanting, hug it out. And that's exactly what happened. Kevin Owens would walk over to Sami and he would pull Sami in for a hug and they hug. And the crowd is going stupid. They are chanting, they are cheering, they are happy for this moment here. And then we would go and get a glimpse in the back where Cody's watching backstage on the monitor. And he has a smile on his face. So it seems that we have a united front. Cody, Kevin Owens, and Sammy going against the bloodline as we're heading into WrestleMania here. And that's how SmackDown will end with the Usos looking at Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn in the ring. I know that everyone wants Kevin Owens and Sammy to be the main event of night one. Let, let me tell you what could happen. Or shall I say what should happen? Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens should open up night one at WrestleMania. The exact same way the Usos did with Rick Boogs and Sam, uh, Shinsuke Nakamura last year. And unlike last year, this year, Kevin Owens and Sami should beat the Usos for the tag team titles. And this will start the complete downfall of the bloodline. Because if you haven't realized yet, or if you guys just didn't pay attention, you can go to YouTube right now and on WWE's uh, YouTube page, they have a whole two hour, whole full playlist of the whole full story of the bloodline. So WWE is trying to give everybody a aforementioned warning that the bloodline story that you guys know and love is quickly coming to an end. So with everyone knowing this, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, they should open up night one of WrestleMania beating uh, the Usos. And as I said, the downfall of the bloodline should go down. And on that night one, you see the Usos like flipping out because they know Roman's going to be pissed because Roman's already going to be paranoid because night two is Roman's night. And when night two happens, we get some backstage situations with the Usos trying to talk to Roman. Paul stops him at every turn. Again, the Usos try to talk to Roman again. Usos end up getting snapped on by Roman straight up. And once Roman loses, we just have a glimpse of Cody celebrating then with the uh, championships to end off night two. And you see Roman just either sitting on the stage looking at the Usos just upset or either Roman just looking completely uh, burnt out. He looks deflated. And we'll have to see what happens on Monday Night Raw. Again, WrestleMania is two weeks away from now so i'm just throwing out ideas that they could use or that they should use because i believe that would play a good part into the story of what was going to happen after wrestlemania but again that's just my ideas here now with that being said that was your smackdown wrestling highlights of the week now off to rampage on rampage they would announce that next week on dynamite john moxley will be going against Stu grayson and also Stu grayson did uh re-sign back with aew so congrats to Stu grayson for being back and also, Kenny Omega will be going against AAA Mega Champion, El Julio Dale Vinkingo. Now, I don't know much about the guy. I've always seen like highlight clips of him. I just know he's a great high flyer. And this is a match that apparently people wanted to see of Vinkingo and Kenny Omega since Kenny was in AAA and he was a Mega Champion before he had to like give up the championship. So we're getting that on Dynamite next week. 
Now, off to the first match on Rampage, we get the TNT Championship match. Powerhouse Hobbs with QT Marshall and Aaron Solo in his corner. Going against Ray Phoenix, who has Alex Abrahantes in his corner. Hobbs would win the match by pinfall by hitting a spine buster, then following up with Town Business, which is a burning hammer for the win. Now, after the match, Alex Abrahantes would get in the ring to check on Phoenix because Phoenix had a hard-fought match with Powerhouse Hobbs, and Hobbs would grab Alex and just hold him. Alex would plead with Hobbs not to hurt him, and Hobbs wouldn't hurt Alex, but QT would. He would hit the diamond cutter and leave Alex Abrahantes laying on the mat. Now, after this, we would get Taya Valkyrie's in-ring debut for AEW as she goes against Ava Lawless. Taya would win the match by pinfall when she would hit Road to Valhalla, or better known as Jaded, for the win. After the match, the TBS champion Jade, Layla Gray, and Mark Sterling would be on the stage, and Mark Sterling would be writing some stuff down. On commentary, Paul White would probably make notice that Mark Sterling's probably going to get that whole uh, Road to Valhalla thing stripped from Ty Valkyrie and just let it be known as Jade and only let Jade be able to use that move. So expect that probably on Dynamite next week, or they're probably going to make some mention of it. After this, we would have the Bollywood Boys going against Jericho Appreciation Society members 2.0. 2.0 would win the match by pinfall by hitting a double impaler DDT for the win. Now off to the main event, Daniel Garcia with Chris Jericho in his corner going against Brody King who have Julia Hart in his corner. Daniel Garcia would win the match by referee stoppage with help from Chris Jericho. When Daniel Garcia had Brody King in the walls of Jericho and Brody would get to the bottom ropes, the referee would pull Daniel Garcia off of Brody King. Now, with the referee dealing with Garcia, the referee wouldn't see Chris Jericho hit Brody King in the head with the bat, and this would allow Daniel Garcia to then go over to Brody and lock him in like some half-dragon style of submission and in the submission you will see Brody already knocked out he's not moving the referee would lift up Brody's arm three times and they each time it will hit the mat and that will make the referee call for the bell so Daniel Garcia will get the win and this is one up for the Jericho Appreciation Society as it seems the Jericho Appreciation Society are now dealing with the House of Black for the trio championships and i'm not mad at it it gives jericho something to do it gives house of black something to do it gives all these people something to do so i'm not mad at it i just want to know where it's going to go with and hopefully we get a jericho versus malachi uh, match out of this but only time will tell but with that that is your aew rampage wrestling highlights of the week and now i don't think there's nothing else for me to talk about i want you guys to have a great saturday please be safe please be good uh text everyone that you know and love just let them know that you're here or just check up on them uh do all those type of things and just be courteous to everyone that you come in contact with today and also don't be a dick now with that all being said i love you all i thank you this has been wrestling highlights of the week presented by my two cents podcast hosted by g2 he is i i am him i love you all i thank you and remember i always have a sunday episode coming out so be on the tune or look out for that uh tomorrow and if you missed my wednesday episode where i talk about the oscars you can go ahead and check that out too and remember i always do put out a wednesday episode now as well so be on the lookout for that episode as well now with all that truly being said i love you i thank you have a great saturday be blessed and kanye could you please take these people home i'm tired you tired uh-huh. jesus wept uh-huh.